Welcome to the podcast series for the Gender Institute at LSC. In today's podcast, we talk to Professor Anne Phillips about the Gender Inequality and Power Commission's work to gather evidence on the gendered nature of political power. She starts by outlining the facts and figures about women and politics. The key thing just to keep in mind in thinking about this is just the figure one in five. Out of every five elected politicians the world over, one of them is a woman and four of them are men. The UK at the moment comes 61 in the the world list of uh, who's doing well and who's doing badly. Across Europe, the Northern European countries, the Nordic countries, have tended to do better from about the 1980s onwards. So more like two in five of elected politicians are female. Europe as a whole isn't the world leader. In fact, in, in recent years, there have been a lot of initiatives in Latin America pushing up the proportion of women in politics. And very often you find that in countries where there's been a conflict, civil war, say, in the post-conflict situation, new institutions are put in place which hugely raise the proportion of women in politics. So the world leader at the moment, for example, is Rwanda, which has um, 60% of its elected politicians are women. Tell us a bit more about the situation here in the UK. In the UK, women got the right to stand for parliament nearly 100 years ago in 1918. It took 70 years for the proportion to rise above 5%, just sort of bumped along at 2%, 3%, 4%. And though there was a big shift in 1997, which was associated with the Labour Party introducing all-women shortlists for some constituencies, which raised it to nearly 20%, really the story has stopped there. We're now up to 22.6%, but there's no, been no big shift. So moving beyond numbers then, what are the main concerns, would you say, when it comes to this clear lack of influence wielded by women in the political arena around the world and indeed here in the UK, where we're clearly not doing very well? We can't assume that even if we did have equality in numbers, that we would have equality in power. And I think there are two key things here. If the lack of shared experience is part of the reason why women might, should, feel that their needs and concerns are inadequately represented in decision-making assemblies that are dominated by men, there's still going to be a lack of shared experience if we're able to increase the proportion of women representatives, but those women are broadly drawn from the same social or ethnic group. The other key thing is to do with leadership positions. In politics, as everywhere else, there's a kind of pyramid structure. The the proportion of women successively reduces the higher you go towards the areas where there is real power. You could have more women in parliament, but still not women in government. You could have women on the back bench in parliament, but not on the front bench. You could have women as committee members, but not chairing committees. So the kind of the moving from actually thinking about how you translate the numbers into really being able to have an effect on policy is is another key challenge. Now, the Commission has been gathering evidence on this issue, including around where power lies and the kind of power that matters, something you've sort of just alluded to there. What emerged on the day of the event that you held? The need to think about the effects of informal rules the kind of the the behind-the-scenes power, the gendered cultures of power. I mean, obviously, we need to address the numbers, but not to get overly focused on the numbers in a way that means that we miss that bigger picture. Of course, it's much more difficult to get to grips with those informal rules and structures of power, the ways in which women are kind of like 
kept out of being able to influence things just through a kind of very informal, sometimes old boys networks, whatever it might be. The evidence that came through on our meeting of the commission was very much about the importance of, of drawing attention to those aspects. At the beginning of our interview, you mentioned uh, some countries that are doing uh, rather well, and some people might be surprised by the ones you mentioned. Um, other lessons that we can learn? There's a much better picture in the Welsh Assembly and the Scottish Parliament than in the UK House of Commons. In the Welsh Assembly, women are 40%. In the Scottish Parliament, 35% though in the Northern Ireland Assembly it's less than 20%. The countries where there's been the most rapid transformation is where you've had new institutions set up. Well, we can't do very much about that. We're kind of stuck, basically, with a lot of old institutions. So that particular lesson we can't derive very much from. But the other big lesson is that really everywhere where there's been significant change, it's been associated with some initiative in the direction of applying quotas. Possibly one of the things that people might be a bit surprised about is the recent decision in Ireland, which is not thought of as particularly progressive in terms of its gender politics. They have now adopted uh, quota legislation, uh, which means that at the next election, all parties are required to, there has to be a minimum of 30% women and 30% men, moving rather uh, slowly (laughs) over the course of seven years to a a 40% minimum. Now, that's to be implemented by the threat that parties will lose political funding if they don't comply. And we know from the experience of France that parties sometimes prefer just to lose the money rather than (laughs) select women as candidates. But there are striking initiatives taking place in various parts of the world that uh, we could learn more from. Now, you also looked at the evidence around the obstacles that women face. What would you say are the main ones? Or is there anything that the evidence shows that might surprise us? The overwhelming view among the many experts who've contributed to the work of the Commission so far is that it's not a problem of there not being enough skilled, experienced, committed women around. The problem is the lack of political will among the parties to ensure that those women actually get their chance. There are soft measures that people use to draw more women into into politics, you know, like uh, programmes for uh, training women in political skills, raising their self-esteem, increasing their ambition and so on. And I have to say that at the the meeting of experts of the Commission, people placed very little weight on those. I mean, the problem is not a lack of ambition, a lack of skills, a lack of knowledge, a a lack of experience. The existing institutions are not sufficiently drawing on the rich pool of talent that is, in fact, there. Now, I know the Commission is keen not just to review the evidence, but also to propose some real practical suggestions for for ways forward, things that could be focused on. What were the sorts of things that, that, that emerged in your discussions? Two examples that came forward. The Scottish Parliament, the SNP has established a cabinet which is 50-50 men and women. And the Labour opposition has a shadow cabinet of 50-50 men and women. Ed Miliband has committed himself to the idea of uh, of a 50-50 men and women cabinet in a future Labour government. So that idea of actually getting the political parties to commit themselves, not just to generally increasing the numbers of women around, but to translate that into power, that's something that people are very interested in and think is a real possibility. And the other was more at the kind of the formation of policy end. Apparently about 85% of the people called as expert witnesses 
to various parliamentary committees and commissions are men, which as a representation of the knowledge and expertise around the country clearly isn't a good representation of it. Getting shifts in, in those areas, the kind of the areas that we mostly don't think very much about, uh, also was one of the issues that came up very strongly. So where do things go from here, Anne? And I wonder how optimistic you are about whether real change can be achieved. It's a kind of strange time in politics. I mean, there is a sense of real disengagement from politics in many ways, declining membership of political parties, obviously a lot of sense of disillusionment with politicians to get people excited about the appalling underrepresentation of women in politics. If you're not interested in politics at all, that's kind of quite a hard thing to get going. But in another way, it seems very much an opportunity. I mean, it's the point at which people are feeling that sense of detachment and crisis and disillusionment with politics. That seems to me a moment in which we can really win people to thinking about how we can make more radical change. And one of the radical changes would be to really significantly change the ways in which our politics and our political systems represent and reflect the diversity of the people within the country. Anne Phillips was talking to Chris Garrington following the Commission's event, Gender and Politics. You can find out more about the work of the Commission at www.lse.ac.uk forward slash Gender Institute. And you can also follow us on Twitter at LSC Gender Tweet.